Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. And also featuring Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls! We're talking about in the audiobook for Group Six and the River, they put a little sound effect in every time there is a time jump or in the book it's like a section heading that'll say today, Serena, or five years ago, right. Trisada. She, she'd say today like and you'd yeah. hear this ding. <laughs> and it was just for me it felt like, okay, brain, we're doing something different now. So it was easier to keep track because you knew you know, you didn't have to take that two or three seconds to adjust. Yeah, it's nice to have something to differentiate the the time difference because I know I've been reading books before and didn't realize that they switched timelines. And I'd be like, how the hell did they buy something made in 1960 when the timeline's supposed to be 1930? We talk about that all the time, how about how confusing it is if there's no... <laughs> kind of separator for it sometimes they'll do a like have a different narrator for portions uh -huh. yeah that are different and i like that too i like that too yeah we used uh pat's little um african thumb uh, no no it was the the steel drum you got me oh that's right yeah. it was a little steel drum thing yeah just to make that one little tone i knew it I thought had... about using a duck call but that might have not been <laughs> in there someplace this is wyoming or a fox call that sounds like a dying rabbit <laughs> oh my god well vonnie this is ron ron vonnie hi keith ron. Hi, ronnie we're three weeks ahead ron yeah it is kind of confusing so this like you know today's or this is mother's day weekend but we can't talk about mother's day weekend because this isn't going to air until no this air yeah, this, we can talk about father's day this will air on memorial day weekend <laughs> that's how far ahead uh, we are I know. And that's Happy something Memorial we can talk about. Day, I have a... What do you talk about on this? Whale penis. 296 is fruit fly catchers. I'm like, what did I miss? Where did I miss whale penises? And I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> See, if I tell you what books they were, that doesn't help me. <laughs> See, but I remember when you say, oh, that was the day we talked about the whale penis. Yeah. Like, that, that's the kind of stuff we talk about weird stuff that we come across throughout throughout the week like for example we we totally missed out on national masturbation month which was yeah what May. a bummer that was yeah. a whole month a dedicated? whole month of masturbation it, no i thought totally it was missed June. It. i thought it was the same month as um pride month no, no, no. that's that's yeah. abstination month. Abstinence month gotcha, is, gotcha. is June. Abstinence. So they give you they is that give even you, a word? No. Abstinence. So they okay, give you May so, and you can pleasure all you want, but then June. Okay, so well, here's a question. What? If it's if you're <laughs> practicing abstinence, does masturbation count as breaking the rules? Depends who you ask. You're not so with another person. Solitaire. It is Except solitaire, exactly. It's solitaire. Yeah. So if you're not playing with a partner, then it's okay. I would think right? so because to abstain means to. I mean, this isn't 40 days and 40 nights. 
It's allowed. Have well, you ever you heard know, it's allowed. In a, Seinf- <laughs> in a Seinfeld episode, it's not allowed though. Because remember, oh. remember the uh, what was oh that, yeah, what was that called? It was called the game. No, the, the bet. The bet. Yeah, where they had to go without for what, how many ever days or whatever. I wonder oh. if that's where they got the idea for 40 Days and 40 Nights, that movie. I don't know what that movie is, so I have no idea. You haven't watched that? No. You I don't think I know it. what you're talking about either. Here's a bombshell. What? I have never seen Seinfeld. <gasps> I knew that. What? I knew that about you. The minute I said that, I was like, okay, <laughs> he's not going to know that reference because he's proudly... Never seen a Seinfeld episode. Well, not, not proudly. It's just a, never really appealed to me. I've seen the last minute or two of several episodes just because it used to come on before Star Trek Voyager. <clears throat> uh-huh. And I would be sitting there waiting for that to come on and I would see like the, the last 30 or 60 seconds of each Seinfeld. But For those of you who recognize there's a deeper voice amongst us, it's because... <laughs> That's because we have the voice of God with us today. I call him God because he was the the fearless leader, creator of our D&D game for years. I think it was, was it your game when I first started playing D&D in 91? It was your game, wasn't it? Uh, probably. When your your players are debating for an hour about what to do about the the sleeping bear in the back of the cavern, and you're the DM who reali- who uh, knows all along that it's a, a corpse full of spider eggs, and if you just pack it, it's going to kill you back. And... <laughs> yes, D&D is like my favorite thing ever, and I don't get to do it very often anymore because I live so far away. Plus, hey, I'm not the one who moved away. I know. I hear it all the time. I know. Tuttle, and- Oklahoma. I'm still not convinced about that. There's there's not a real town called Tuttle, Oklahoma. You're I- just making that shit up. Dude, I have witnesses. Moving away from Wyoming was the best and worst thing that ever happened all at the same time. Yeah, best for you, worst for everybody else. I know. And worse for missing my friends. I always miss my friends, of course. Although now Dylan is daily complaining that we took him out of Wyoming because he hates Oklahoma. So he just he just wants to come home. Like How old was he when you moved? Three. Hmm. I keep trying to tell him, honey, weed's not legal in Wyoming. You're not going to like was, it. I was going to say something and I was going to be like, what's he going to do? I don't know. He said, I don't care. I'll go live in the mountains. Yeah. It's young, well, young could he live I... in Colorado, like on the side that's kind of close? So it's like two hours. Oh man, that's what all the all the young Wyoming kids want to do, and it's too expensive to live in Colorado anymore. Sadly. Yeah. They just need to legalize it everywhere and just get off. Well, that would be cool too. Uh oh yeah. So so Ron. We became friends back in 1991 at, I think it was at stage three, wasn't it, when we first met? Probably. That's, I know. It's like someone says, <laughs> oh, 1991. Yeah, that was just a long fucking time ago, Ron. But back then in those days, uh, <laughs> Ron and Pat were, Pat was married to somebody else. And we were all friends through the theater and we all played D&D together. And then 
Pat came to her senses and became divorced and married the man of her dreams, which also happens to be one of my best friends, this man right here, Ron Richard. So now both of my best friends from Casper are married to each other. And how fucking awesome is that? <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, it's really interesting about the book that Ron wrote. And I'm sure as we go, this will come up a bunch of times. We played this D&D game that was based in that world. So we walked through the world. We explored the world. We did all sorts of things in this world. And it was, it was really kind of beyond surreal to read about it <laughs> after the fact. Because there were a lot of things that we did that didn't show up in the book. I don't know. It was it was extremely surreal. Not only that, it was read by both Pat and Ron. So it was like trippy as hell. Well, so, the books really have nothing to do with D&D &D other than the the setting and those characters. I yep. mean, there's no orcs and elves and dwarves and Nope, none of the above. Like yeah. There are dragons, there be if dragons. you can imagine that. Oh, well, you have to have there. dragons. Well, yeah. Things that, you know what, I, when, when I first started thinking about you being on the show, Ron, I was like, hmm, I wonder if he'll be phased by our filthiness. Oh, you kidding? Yeah, see? More filthy than you are. See? So it works out fine. We can talk about whatever we want. Ron's not going to blush. Fucking A. Planning to slide through Casper around the 5th. A Fifth of June. June? Mm hmm Just a few days cool. from now. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. In the time travel universe we live in. <laughs> See, that's why I could never be Doctor Who's companion, because the whole time traveling thing would just throw me off. I'd be like, what day is it? Wait, what year is it? What do I have to Temple wear? mechanics give me a headache. <laughs> what clothes am I supposed to wear out there today? Yeah, we've got some quantum mechanics, quantum entanglement, quantum fucked upness working right now. Huh? Guy that works on certain Volkswagens is a quantum mechanic. Really? Yeah, Volkswagen quantum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> I've never even heard of that one. It's hey. a boxy little piece of yeah. mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. It kind of looks like what um, Griswold drove on his family vacation. <laughs> it's the Griswold the family hanging Christmas. on the back bumper. Yeah. Grandma strapped to the top. Those <laughs> <laughs> wooden panels. Uh, Bonnie, did VW Quantums such exist a smart when ass. book was written? <laughs> Cars didn't exist when my book was written. <laughs> oh, no. It's that far back? Yes. Oh. Very... And did people actually... eat babies back in that day? Um, no, there was no yeeting of babies, but awesome. there was kind of like yeeting of wives. <laughs> Wife what? This is why wives should get fat so that they're not easily yeetable. But it's only like a, a it's not a literal yeeting. It's more like a symbolic, symbolic, symbolic yeeting, yeeting of the wives. Instead of throwing them into the river, they throw them into the insane asylum. Because they have... Uh, well, sounds like you have a fun book this week. I have a fun book. It was kind of appropriate for the whole emotional atmosphere in America right now. Yeah, I did want to talk about that, but Memorial we can talk Day? about that later. Not Memorial no. Day. I'm talking about <laughs> women's rights. The book I read this week is The Woman They Could Not Silence by Kate Moore. And you know, I've read Kate Moore before, and I really like 
her style. And I found this at the library when I was just kind of looking around and searching for a book. So I decided to read it. This is a nonfiction, um, but if you've read any of Kate Moore's books before, you know that she takes the nonfiction subjects and almost writes it like a historical fiction book. So it's more of a story, not real textbooky. That's one of the reasons why I like her book so much. And um, this book is about Elizabeth Packard, and it's set in 1860. And if you are unfamiliar with who that is, which I was, so I had to look it up, um, she was an advocate for rights of women and people accused of insanity. And also she campaigned for divorced women to retain custody of their children. Um, because at this time, if wife and a husband just get divorced, the wife had no rights to her children whatsoever. She basically had to leave with nothing at all. The husband got the children, the house, the property, the money, everything, because wives were considered property. They basically had no rights. So once you married somebody, anything that you have basically becomes his. Mm. So this book, like I said, is in 1860. And what happens is... Elizabeth Packard is the wife of a preacher. And once she kind of is done having children, which she had six children and her youngest was still a baby at this time, but not breastfeeding anymore. So she basically had freedom to go do other things. She joined a few church groups and other groups and basically started learning more things and becoming more aware of the world and decided that she did not agree with what her husband taught in the church or what he was preaching. And so she questioned it and she questioned it kind of publicly. She was a very outspoken, not really afraid of very much. She was not shy at all. And because she disagreed with her preacher husband, some of the elders in the church and the town started to become almost afraid of her because they thought that she would start like a trend with people not agreeing with the church. So he decided to just get rid of the problem and basically had her committed to the insane asylum. And at the time, a husband could do that. All he had to do was get a doctor to sign off that she was insane because of her feelings against the church and they could lock her up with no trial, no actual interview with her, nothing. And once she was in the insane asylum, she was there for three years before she got out. I think it's noteworthy to mention that the only reason they released her from the mental hospital is because she was starting an uproar in the mental hospital (laughs) with all these women who were put into the, who were committed for things that aren't really a, a mental problem. Like one woman who had been there for over five years, her husband put her in there because she was overly jealous, he said. And she went in when the the hospital first opened. She was the first patient and she was still there when Elizabeth Packard was there. 
So this is just kind of her story and the people that she meet and what she witnessed and went through herself <laughs> in the mental hospital and about just the manipulation that happened between her and the psychiatrist on staff. And there was only one for a whole hospital full of women. There was one doctor. And you wonder why I don't like historical fiction. I know, but it's still good to read about this kind of stuff because like they say, people who know history don't repeat it. Well, once she was going to be released from the hospital, her husband started getting nervous because she didn't, he didn't want her going back to question his teachings at the, at the church and everything. So he decided to go ahead and have a trial to decide whether or not she was insane because they put it on trial back then. And you had to prove that you were sane, not the other way around. He didn't try to dunk her in water to see if she'd float or not, because I mean. No, that was witches. I know, but Same, it sounds yeah. pretty ridiculous anyway. Uh, yeah, I know. But what he did on the last day of the trial, he didn't show up to court. And he took and packed up all of their stuff and took all of their children and went to a different state and refused to let her see him. So she started advocating for divorced women's right to their children because she was going through it herself. And it was just, it was a very fascinating story, a little enraging. A little enraging. They could do this to women back then and that they had absolutely no rights to anything. It was a very interesting read, and Kate Moore has a great way of taking a nonfiction book and make it into an, a story that is interesting to read. Kind of like, I know you didn't like Radium Girls, Martha, but I loved it. It was a good read. It's a good way to see how far we've come from that time period and why we should still fight for equal rights for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because you never know when you're going to be the one they come for yep. next. Exactly. Yep. Or when they're yep. going to take away your rights that you've had for 50 years. 50 years. Yep. Exactly. It was a great read. I would definitely recommend this. I would give it a five star for sure. And that again was called The Woman They Could Not Silence by Kate Moore. Cool. Yay. It was a wonderful read. I think anyone who enjoys historical fiction is interested in uh, women's rights or just wants to read about a super strong, independent woman who was way ahead of her time. Okay, Keith, what do you got? And us pieces of crap are sandwiched in the middle. <laughs> oh, right? hey. <laughs> Don't Listen, if you want to good... be the white bread at the end, the bottom slice always gets soggy. That's all I'm saying. I don't, oh, you're the soggy part of the sandwich. I don't know. Soggy what, bottom sandwich. I don't know what kind of fucking sandwiches you're eating, but <gasps> mine never get soggy. You're not using the right kind of bread, Vonnie. Yeah. You need a pretzel bun because those rock. <laughs> you're saying that the, the best oh, choice mom. sliced sandwich bread isn't the kind I should be using? No. You can put your microphone down now if you want. <laughs> It's sitting on my on my stomach cliff. She likes it now. My ledge, my tummy ledge. Stomach cliff. 
My Is that like your clip. teeth cleavage? <laughs> you just stick it in your bra. See, when I laugh, it jiggles. <laughs> uh, the book I read this week is called Chef's Kiss. It's by TJ Alexander. And I want to thank Megan Rudloff from Atria Books. She sent this book to us to review. So this book is about uh, Simone. I'm reading a cooking book because... I just love all these books about the cooking shows and stuff now because oh, that's the jam. I mean, technically, okay. So this is this is actually about a um, a cookbook publishing company. Oh. So you know, like the Taste of Home, oh yeah, like the cookbooks I, I have, and stuff. I have Taste of it Home. It very much gives me those kind of vibes because oh. our main character Simone and she's a pastry chef, and this is her dream job. I mean, she just. She has this test kitchen and she just works out the best ways to make all these things that she loves. And then she writes articles about them. And I, it's, it is literally, she talks all the time about how this is what she's always wanted. She's exactly where she's wanted to be. And then unfortunately times are changing. So they hire this new big wig, like in charge of the company. Mm. And he has decided that he wants to get hip and get younger people. So, of course, that means we got to go into the social media kind of venue. And he wants everybody to start making cooking videos. And Simone is very anti this because Simone is not. She's very set in her way. She's not the most outgoing person. She's like us. She's very like she has just a couple of friends. And I mean, she just doesn't want to be bothered. She wants to do her cooking. She wants to do her pastry chef stuff and she wants to go and she doesn't want to have to talk to people and wave and be happy and and nice on YouTube. Right. So she's pretty bummed along with this new guy um, who's in charge of the channel. um, A new person named Ray has come and they are the, um, the new kitchen manager. So Ray's the person who goes around and makes sure that the test kitchen is stocked with all the pots and all the materials that any of the chefs could need mm-hmm. and arranges where they are and stuff, which i got to tell you, that sounds like a really cool job. I mean, they don't even really know how to cook. They just have to make sure everything's where it belongs in the kitchen. So they sort of be, um, be like the uh, set coordinator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Now, Ray is the opposite of Simone. Ray is very outgoing, and Ray can just talk about all sorts of things. And I thought of Martha's Ron because Ray's passion is brewing beer. Oh. So one day, um, like, the the guy that's in charge of the YouTube part of production is just kind of playing around and filming Ray. And it's like, hey, Ray, tell me about, you know, like, your beer escapades and everything. And Ray just blooms under the YouTube camera. I mean, Ray is all sorts of sociable. And so when they put Simone on camera, her YouTube videos get like six views and Ray's get millions. (laughs) So they pair them up because Ray can't cook, but Simone can and Ray's very personable and Simone is not. So Simone just doesn't really like Ray because Ray is everything she is not. But, of course, they put the two of them together, and um, Simone starts taking a shine to Ray and really thinking, you know, Ray's not so bad. But the problem is that at one point, 
And when I say this big wig that has come into the company, he's just an asshat in all the ways you can be an asshat, basically. And from the day Ray is hired, Ray's dead name was Rachel. So Ray is non-binary. Okay. But nobody at work realizes that because the bigwig guy keeps referring to Ray as Rachel. And so everyone thinks Ray is a woman. Because and when that's... Ray finally gets comes out and says, you know what? Enough's enough. Um, I've been non-binary for years. And I mean, I would prefer to be known as Ray. And my pronouns are they and them and theirs. And, and bigwig, of course, is like, screw that. And then this big company-wide memo comes out, and it's this big thing about how we shouldn't talk about our sexual orientation, and we shouldn't make comments because this is a family-oriented cookbook and publishing company and YouTube channel and all that other garbage that gets spouted. And Simone is bisexual, and Simone basically has to decide this is like everything she has wanted this job. She still loves it, even with the YouTube garbage. And this is what she has worked her entire life for. She has to decide now if it's worth working for this piece of crap who has convinced all the people under him to also be pieces of crap with respect to just common courtesy and decency. It's a really, really good book. It has so much interesting information, just things that you wouldn't ever think about that I didn't think about that would come up in a company setting, just in life in general. But at the same time, it's really fun. It's really sweet. It's really cute. The characters are just, I mean, she, Simone is so funny in that she's just so like, doesn't want to She's just so like, she wants to be in her little cave. And when Ray starts to draw her out, it's just, it's just sweet and adorable. I just really love this book. It was really good. It taught me a lot of things and I'm so happy because I mean, it's going to be pride month in a couple of days and only maybe uh, three years ago, I can remember that when you wanted books from different orientations, books from people of different cultures. It was really hard to find. And publishers are coming out with so many amazing, this is the second non-binary romance I've read this year, which is amazing because I can remember when that was not a thing at all. Or was it illegal? illegal? What's that? Or yeah. So it's just so amazing that I mean, publishers listened to us. People were saying, hey, we're not represented and we want to be. And now those books are coming out. But the really important thing now is that when a book comes out that you like, you need to give it a positive review. You need to tell people about it. If you can, you should buy it. You should review it on Goodreads or Storygraph or wherever you review books so that other people know because the publishers need to know that we think this is a good thing so that we get more of these books. Because just the fact that they're coming out now, and this goes for anything. I mean, if you love historical fiction, then you need to like let people know that they need to keep writing that cool shit. I mean, Martha and her awesome fantasy sci-fi weirdness, there are tons of people that love that, but if publishers don't know that we love this stuff, 
it won't keep coming out. So especially with all these new kind of books that people are giving a chance and publishers are letting us read, I just, that's my soapbox. I just, I really want to keep getting books like this from different perspectives and that teach me things even just, I mean, I know it's just a romance, but it teaches you so much because it comes from a perspective that I never get to read about. This is TJ Alexander's uh, debut novel, and I thought it was amazing. I thought they did a great job, and I really want to read more from them. So uh, if you like this book, please give it a positive review somewhere. I, I really hope TJ Alexander keeps writing. And again, that was Chef's Kiss from TJ Alexander. It, it's the real world, and that's how all of it should be. That's how movies, that's how commercials, that's how novels, it just makes it more relatable. Totally agree. I mean, I can't, I am a white straight woman and I can't imagine if as I was growing up, I never saw other people like me. And that happens constantly to so many people. And it would just be awful to never have something that you felt was like for you. And I love that we're seeing more of that. Agree. Yeah, I do too. Kind of a heavy way to go in, Ron, but you're next. Sorry. I <laughs> know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think my favorite book of all time, which influenced me in everything, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. I knew and it. It's, it it's, it's not very relatable today because it's a 170 years old or something and written by a Frenchman and translated into English. And the writing style is so different back then. It's, it's very, very formal. And there's not one woman in the entire book, for one thing. There's only just a handful of characters at all. The whole idea just fascinated me so much. And there's so much detail in there that was all scientific fact. Like they'd be on the submarine looking out the window at all the, the fish life and everything. And, they, and Vern would classify it. This was a, et cetera, et cetera, you know, like the Latin genus and species and everything. And he would just go on to these incredible details that he had obviously researched. Some of that got a little old after a while, but the fact that I've read it a hundred times means that it worked. And there will be not references to it, but some similar aspects in, in future books of mine, as you probably remember of the, the shark, mm -hmm. Martha. Yes, I do. Yeah. I keep waiting for Captain well, Ramirez's that, treasure. That's a few to come books up. away oh, yet. Okay. Written in, I'm going to say around 1860, 65, somewhere in there, back when submarines were just in their infancy. And that was another terrific thing is that Jules Verne went 100 years into the future and thought up stuff that is truly used on submarines, like uh, electric power, which didn't exist when he wrote that. He described in very good detail about uh, super-powered water pumps that would fill and empty these uh, buoyancy reservoirs to make the submarine go up and down. And he explained everything to, well, a layman, <laughs> Or a scientist would find it equally interesting, I think. You know, a layman might not understand all of the, 
the technical terms, which were highly technical for the 1860s, but still it, it brought people's interest. It was something completely new. Well, a lot of people say he was the father of science fiction, but that's not quite true. Mary Shelley was that. When I was a kid and I was first exposed to this for a Christmas present, I must have been maybe 10, I don't know. Somebody gave me a set of four hardbound books. They were abridged, as I found out later, but it was 20,000 Leagues, 1001 Arabian Nights, Sherlock Holmes stories, and there was a fourth one that I can't remember what it was. I didn't read it because I wasn't interested. I think it was a Western. But the thing about these books is they had little footnotes on the, in the margins that would explain things. Like the one that always stuck with me was they're talking about a certain area of, of the earth that was infested with malaria. And uh, he said, oh, it's such a, it's such a shame that uh, it's because of all of the dead plants in the water are rotting and causing this bad uh, flu-causing gas to rise from it. In fact, the word malaria means bad air. And they thought that was what caused malaria. And then in, in these little books, which were made for kids because they had little descriptions on them, it said that here's a mistake that Vern made and that malaria is caused by mosquitoes that bred in the, in the rotting swamp water that they were describing at this place. But no one in Vern's time knew that. Little things like that just really drew me to this book and the whole, the whole scenario of a, a scientific journal pretty much. It was a description of, of this scientist's journey across the ocean, 20,000 leagues. Now that's, that doesn't mean depth, that means distance, but it was like a whole scientific journal, but made into an adventure story with mystery and uh, really exhilarating characters. And then the sequels just blew me away. The sequels were The Mysterious Island and The Children of Captain Grant which all revolved around not the same characters necessarily, but the same situation and all these people were tied together in one way or another. Sort of what you're describing is like on our special episode for Patreon, it reminds me of, of that experience because there are books that we read when we're young that will influence our entire lives. And in this case, that one does. Yeah, you're talking about a book which formed you not only as a person but as a writer. And I was I don't remember how old I was, probably 10 or 12. Okay. Yeah, that's how I became interested in Jules Verne. So give us the title and the artist of that book one more time so that if people are interested in either reading it or maybe getting it for somebody whose interests it might 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, Frenchman. Frenchman. Is that part of his Maybe. And there's one crazy thing that I thought was so odd. Well, the character of Captain Nemo in 20,000 Leagues is a very mysterious character. He's been portrayed in movies, but like most movies, none of them get it right. Of course. He loves all life in the ocean, and he's very conservative that way, and and just knows everything there is to know about life in the ocean, plants and animals, until one day when the submarine comes across the pod of sperm whales, which in his French way calls cachalot, which is another worm, 
word for sperm whales. He just hates them. He fires up the submarine, which has got a sharp spur in the nose of it, and he goes flying through this pod of sperm whales, slicing them and piercing them and just creating a bloodbath floating on the ocean because they're vile creatures and need to be destroyed at all costs. That is, I, I really didn't understand where Vern was coming from on that. That's very incongruous. Yeah. Hmm. And then at the time, sperm whales were about the most valuable commodity in the ocean because that's where all of the lamp oil came from, as well as the spermaceti, which was an incredibly value, or not spermaceti, uh, ambergris, which was Used for some perfume. crystalline thing found in the in the brains or something of no, the whale. No, it's vomit, actually, but it's like a, yeah, that's yeah. right, that's yeah. right. It's in the stomachs, yeah, and it was used to make perfume. Mm-hmm. But yeah, why why that was not mentioned? <laughs> I don't know, but whale vomit just hated sperm whales. That's well, bizarre. Does that have anything? Is it maybe a tribute to like uh, Moby Dick or something? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe Moby because, Dick was written well, thirty years earlier. Well, maybe yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it was his his nod to uh, so you couldn't get your great white whale, but look how many I got. Uh. <laughs> I my my book doesn't have anything to do with whales, but I am what? privileged enough to stand in front of the author and criticize it. You're not standing, and I'm also not going to criticize it. The book is called Group Six and the River by Ron Richard. Or- as so many people call it, group sex in the river. Group sex, yes. They're Every okay. single time well, you've said group that, sex. I thought it said group sex. Every time you've said group sex, like I just texted my husband and I was like, every time somebody says group sex, I'm like, wait, what? And then I'm like, oh yeah. You could have very easily gone with group seven and been fine. No, because I, I stole the name group six. I'm not going to tell you from where, but I, <laughs> it is stolen. <laughs> It's got to be no one that's going to come after you. It's got to be a Star Trek (laughs) reference. No, it's not a Star Trek reference. Tease. Fine. (laughs) Okay, so Group Six and the River of Water and Brimstone by Ron Richard. Now, we've talked earlier about what my connection to this book is and the character that I played in the D&D game that we played. Basically, I was privileged to be able to stand in her skin for a while and, and play the character. And well, let me start out by first explaining what the book is about. It is about a group of four plus leader, five. Well, no, it's not the six group people. Six originally oh. was five. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, see, it's, so it's like three book girls. We're not three, we're actually five. So see, it's not oh, actually six okay. people, it's four plus leader, which makes five. So anyway, these guys, they don't know each other very well. Trisado and Fox knew each other. Nobody else did. Right. There's this group of people hanging around a town like they sometimes do in fantasy novels. And they get contacted about going on an adventure of sorts by this one friend of theirs. And there is a quest to be done. Basically, Mm -hmm. they need to go up the river which is not a very popular thing to do in this particular world. Going up the river is, is seen as probably not a very good idea. Now, Trasado, who is one of the characters in the book, has a fetish for boats, and he has created this design for this boat. And most people think he's a bit insane because this boat, the way he describes it, sounds ridiculous. 
it's a uh, a big flat. It's sort of like a pontoon boat. Essentially, it's a catamaran. Yeah, right. So he gives the plans to a boat builder, and he's thinking, man, I'm going to have to sell a kidney or something in order to get this thing built because I don't have the money. So he gives, he gives the plans to the boat builder, and he's kind of walking away wondering how the hell he's going to pay for it. But then this dude shows up calling himself Leader, and he says, okay, I want you to go on this quest up the river, and Trasado, I know you've got this boat being built, and I've paid for it so that you can take this quest. Well, of course, he's like, well, sign me up. He wants to go. He's like, yes. So the other people that are involved in the group, there is Orchid. She's a magic-using type character, but it's more of a uh, natural magic. Like, she's, she's one of those characters that can commune with nature and, you know, she sort of approaches things in that way. And Fox, mm-hmm. who is another character, is kind of, he kind of reminds me of a uh, slippery little, he could t- talk his way out of anything. He's very charismatic. And he is interested in magic as well, only he's more interested. He, he actually, he actually came across these books. Now, I, I kind of think they were stolen. Does it say they were oh, stolen in there? Surely not. Oh, anyway. He steals these magic books and teaches himself how to do certain kinds of magic, which is cool because if you're reading a fantasy novel, a lot of times everything is very formal and dry and you got to go to a special school and this and that. But the one of the things I like the most about Ron's approach is that he kind of makes fun of that. It, it's a wink and a nod to, yeah, this is fancy school and... And Fox was not a rule follower and sort of has little asides and comments about his teachers in the past and how they felt about him. And a lot of the the humorous little asides is something I don't think I've read in any other novel. It's first, it might feel a little weird when you're reading it because how would I even put that? It's not something that I've ever seen done quite in that way. Like, for example, you might hear from Fox's third grade teacher about his, you know, exploits and some, you know, thing. Only it's like an aside that sort of, I don't know whether that's in between chapters that that happens because I didn't look at, I listened to the audio. But there are little quotes from different, different things and different (laughs) people that aren't necessarily a part of the story. They add to it. They're enhancers of the story. And... I've never seen it done quite in that way before. And I think that once you become used to the rhythm of the story and you understand what he's doing with it, you'll come to appreciate how fun it really is. And you've heard me review enough books that you understand that I prize above all things humor. Mm -hmm. I, I love it when a story does not take itself too seriously. And I probably got to a lot of that need to read stories like this from you Ron because you were my dungeon master and (laughs) that sort of exactly that sort of humor has always been a part of my personality so reading I'm honestly I'm probably way too close to this book to be able to give it a proper review because to me it felt like coming home it felt like sitting around the D&D table with my friends eating pie 
and um, you know, being si- being silly. It's a silly book in a lot of ways, but it's the kind of silly that you get to go on a journey with this group of characters. Um, it's the kind of thing that you're rooting for them to be able to find out what the hell is up with Leader because this guy, you know, he says, oh, well, from now on, I'll be calling you group six. And immediately my mind goes back to the time where we're all sitting around the table going, oh, well, what happened to group five and group four and group three? <laughs> and of course, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Now, I don't know if anybody else will have that same reaction. One of the characters said that very same yeah. thing. Yeah. So you you kind of know that this guy is sketchy because he's, he's so elusive about every question they ask him. And, you know, you have to just dig for everything. And the guy is just not like anybody that they can think of. So they're a little bit, how would you even say it? They're skeptical of the dude. But at the end of the day, they're all just greedy bastards who want to get paid. And they're like, hey, paying us to go up the river. We'll go up the river how as far as he wants us to as long as we get our money. He pays very, very well. Yes, exactly. So so they're they're mercenaries in a way. Uh, They are adventurers for hire. And they set out on this quest with Leader. But the the other thing that I found very interesting is it doesn't end with that particular quest. You think it's done, but it's not done. Because there's another section to the story which, which leads you forward on the journey to another location, which then makes the story even better, in my opinion. <laughs> and that is what is going to kind of lead you into the sequel. Another thing, obviously, that I enjoyed about this a lot was the inventiveness of the different types of flora and fauna. The silly names. um, The booger bird was one of my favorites where... (laughs) Where Orchid says, oh, look, you know, they hear this awful noise. And could you do the noise for me, please? Booger, booger, booger. Yeah, that's what the bird sounds like. And Orchid's like... Oh, yeah, those are delicious. Let's go get some of that. It's just little silly stuff that adds to the camaraderie of the group and sort of cements them together as a unit and makes the journey much more fun for the reader, in my opinion. I just hate it when it's when I'm reading a fantasy novel and everything is so very serious. And I really enjoy a book that can entertain me to that level, but yet at the same time be super inventive and come up with some really cool characters. The characters in the Crystal Palace are particularly good. And it's kind of a, a mixture, like like I said, it's something I had never seen done quite in this way before. It feels like, well, there are references to things that we know such as, for some reason, this the section where Serena is going into the ring with um, what's her name in the Crystal Palace. To me, it felt like professional wrestling. Oh, with Agnes. <laughs> yes, Agnes. Right. So there's th- there are things that have very very slight connections to our world enough to where we can understand what's going on and enjoy it so, so much more. But it's still such a unique place. It's not like any fantasy novel you will ever read in your life. It's not the same. It's it's different. Well, I wanted the characters to be relatable, so I made them 
act and speak with like 21st century Americans, pretty much, even though it's set on another planet and Earth has nothing to do with it. And lots of Earth-type animals on this planet that also has gigantic mutated monsters and things like that. And booger birds. Yeah, booger birds, which is like a large turkey. And they're delicious, evidently. Yes, they are. If you want to read a book that's completely unique, and I will say that it was almost painful for me not to hear the audio anymore when I was done. Because (laughs) it was read by Pat and Ron. And (laughs) I felt this huge loss when I was finished. I'm like, no, I can't hear it anymore. So I guess now you guys are going to go into the rotation of my night-night books, and I can listen to you and Pat read me to sleep every night. Uh, you know, here's a curious thing. Well, when I write any characters, I have kind of a mental image of what they look like. And when I was writing Leader, long after I had finished it, I come to realize, you know what? Leader looks a lot like Vladimir Putin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I really hadn't intended him to look like that. It's just a, that was the kind of straight-lipped, yes, it, emotionless kind of strange-looking guy, you know, because Putin doesn't quite look real, like no, he's an he android doesn't. or something. Actually, you're going to laugh when you, when you hear who I pictured him as, Mike Pence. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because yeah, he has that plastic much. sort of look about him where, where <laughs> you're not really quite sure if he, the dude can even smile. The, the other thing I do want to address is the main character in the book who was patterned after my character. She's a snarky bitch. Yay. No, not like you at all. Not like me at all. <laughs> She doesn't put up with any bullshit. No, she does not. She does not suffer fools. And she doesn't like guys hitting on her. So those are two things that we have in common. And she doesn't like all this magic talk. I mean, Trisado and and Orchid get to discussing the details of magic and on and on and on. And they just won't shut up. And it finally comes down to Serena saying, if you don't shut up, I'm going to cave your head in or something like that. (laughs) I think obviously she needs to fall in love in this book. <laughs> oh, no, she does not. No, no, no. When you read it, you'll understand. So you'll understand the reason that, that men follow her around like puppies and she fucking hates it. So once again, this was called Group Six and the River of Water and Brimstone. That's Serena's last name, by the way. Serena Brimstone. Serena Brimstone. Uh, by Ron Richard. But Ron also sent me a hardcover for my shelf. Which, of course, is signed by the author. You know, in the original Serena's brain, she was a a man-hater. And and it never really says anything in the book about her being heterosexual. Well, spoiler alert here. In some future book or books, we'll see that uh, she does have a preference. Are you going to tell us what the preference is? Well, no, because he ruined it. Ah! (laughs) You have to wait for the book I to need come to out. find out if I'm bisexual. Like Let's just say that she's okay with men. She likes certain types. I was all excited uh, that maybe she's into dragons. Ooh, that'd be that uh, would no, been cool. This isn't dinosaur porn. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Ron knew exactly where I was trying to get. It's fine. We whatever. still haven't figured out how dinosaurs do it, but we're still working on that. One of these days. I don't know what I'm gonna do for abstinence month. 
I'm going to not support abstinence. Well, we already know you aren't supporting it because it's your anniversary trip. No, that's in May, though. Oh. So much. Well, I have to cut down on sugar. Support abstinence month. You have to cut down on sugar? Abstinence from pie, Ron? What kind of life is that? Well, I can have pie every now and then. I just have to not drink 3,000 milliliters of Pepsi every day. And then. I mean, abstinence from sugar is probably a good thing because if I ate as much sugar as I wanted, I couldn't even get into my own pants. <laughs> it took me a minute. You can't even I wouldn't get... have to worry about anyone getting into my pants because I couldn't even do it. But then you wouldn't be able to wear pants and that could facilitate that whole. True. You could have a no pants party. You were sans well, pants all the time. I'd have to go ahead and turn my pineapple upside down in the front because uh, I'd have a lot of free time uh, because I'm pretty sure no pants is against the policy at work. I honestly think we should all buy moo-moos and just call it a day and then everyone can eat whatever the hell they want. I don't like moo-moos. I, I, you know what? The idea of seeing the guy's eye rub starting any fires. Your thyroid. No, because now they've got those things you can wear underneath your moo and it's all good. Yeah. I'm picturing the guys I work with in moo Can you imagine Jake from the cat? In a moo In a moo This with is why we gun. have to normalize moo people. He can no. be like the grandma from a Tweety Bird. We could she call really it something is. different that's not stupid like moo Just I, the word moo makes dude, it sound terrible. I'm not wearing a fucking dress. No. It is not happening. You know, is there I, a wearing a pants rule among three book girls? I mean, I can't tell from here. Well, that's I could true. have pants we on. Could, I could not have pants that's on. That's the great. Know. That's the great thing about Zoom is that we can be sans pants all the time, and nobody knows. Except mm-hmm. when you get up to go to the bathroom or something, and suddenly spot. Oh, Martha's wearing. <laughs> No, I'm Darn not. it, Martha. Martha flashed us. Because it's hot in here. So take off all your clothes. We have new neighbors. I don't want to scare them off. They need to know what they're dealing with yeah, right off the bat. True. I mean, if you did that, then they would not come over to your house Wouldn't or invite me. you to football games. <gasps> that would I'm going to start answering the door. That like, would be awesome. Pants. Not getting invited to football <laughs> parties. You know, when I was little, I used to always get so embarrassed because my grandma was not um, very conservative or shy. And I would have friends over and she would just randomly take her shirt off because she was hot and walk around in her bra. Nice. That reminds me of, do you ever see uh, Raising Hope, that TV show with Cloris Cloris Leachman? She was Mama and she she was. She kind of had a little bit. Dude, of I can't. I wanted to be she her so bad. Put her brassiere on on the outside of her clothes and be walking around. Uh, I know there. There was one time that um, oh, I, I called that my show. grandma and she was going to come over for something, and she showed up at my house, and I was having a sleepover with no shirt on. So she drove in her car nice. from her house to my house with, in just her bra and her hair curlers. So imagine this at the door, my grandma in her curlers, in her bra, and a pair of like, you know, elastic waisted uh, capris. Panties? Oh, I thought you were gonna say panties. No, no, she did have pants on, just no shirt. Dude, that's like kind of awesome. I really want to get to the point in my life 
where I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Like I'm going out like this. Screw it. <laughs> well, you know, a bra is not that different than a, than a bathing suit. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's probably well, more covering than a, most of the bathing honestly, suits. Honestly, if I wore my it bra. It was a grandma bra, so yeah. If I wore my bra out in the yard right now, I would still have more clothes on than most of the people on the Masked Singer panel. You have to leave something to the imagination. Yeah. I don't really care for the whole trying to dress in just pasties. Well, you in know, all four places. All pasties in all go. four places. Did you say four you know, places? I'm like, yeah. You know, pasty on the butt, pasty on the... Oh, the butt. We can't forget the butt. <laughs> the butt. But pasties the... always get left it's out. It's funny that Vonnie and I, we are totally <laughs> here. Right we understand the four pasty places. Well, you know, they have a special word for the covering that goes over your mimsy during filming of movies and such. Really? Yeah. It starts with an M. It's like a... You're not thinking of a Merkin, right? Merkin! I thought that was like a wig. A pussy wig that covers up your bits while you do the thing so that people can't see your real bits. I don't know why they do that. I just thought people wanted to put wigs there for, I don't know, New Year's or... Yeah. <laughs> I've often wondered why I get they're out, selling... I get out my, my clown pussy wig for, uh, for Halloween. <laughs> But only when I dress up like Pennywise. Oh, this is my formal Merkin. <laughs> I get out my formal my Merkin. My clown pussy wig. <laughs> we learned something new today, friends. We learned about. I learned something new on this podcast every we week. We learned. No. Like the fact that I have a clown pussy wig. <laughs> well, like that. God. I learned about me. VW Quantums. You're going to make me pee my pants right here. <laughs> I learned about upside down pineapples and front yard yeah. gnomes. And, we you know, are just a font of knowledge. I, it just has, I don't think it's come to Wyoming yet. You know, we're always quite a few years behind everyone else. We're just getting disco. No. <laughs> Boy, do you have some fun on the way for you, man. I love Just be careful when you see those upside down pineapples at the disco. Actually, Eggs really are a thing. Now you're going to places you don't want to go. Wah! <laughs> I tried to tell you. You got me wondering. M E R K I N. M E R. Uh -huh. Look at you. It's a red, it's one that's a red a heart. Merkin. So if you're interested in a Merkin, I, I'm pretty sure Amazon sells them. So we'll put a link up. How do you stick it on? It says it's reusable. I'm sure it has. Oh, here's one that has spirit teeth. gum. <laughs> Hopefully it's wash and wear. It has spirit <laughs> gum. Yeah. Isn't that how you put on fake? A fake mustache? Yeah, but ew. <laughs> oh, my pussy is sticky. Have you gotten to the hat that says, make Merkins great again? No. <laughs> Put a link up. I'll buy it. And Can I, I ask a question? <laughs> Why do you suppose when I look up an image search of Merkin, there are so many pictures of Jared Leto? That's mine came up too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what you need a Merkin for is when you dress up for Halloween or on any other day when you dye your hair a different color and somebody asks you, <laughs> do the does drapes, the, does do the the drapes match the carpet? And you say, yep, I'm wearing my special Merkin. Hey, real Merkins don't wear no Merkins. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good ending and that's going to do it for... 
Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.